You're listening to a main session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Thank you. All right, give somebody a high five and look at them and tell them it looks like you've lost a little weight. Come on, tell them. <laughs> Let's just start off with some good news, right? You know. By the way, if you want to say something nice to me, that's what you say, all right? It ain't ever true, but I love hearing it, all right? So I just want y'all to know that. In fact, we, we start our year off every year with uh, 21 days of prayer. And, um, and so, which kind of gives you a jump start on like a good year physically, not only just spiritually, you know? And I always lose a bunch of weight and I think, this, this is my year. So I set a goal uh, to lose 20 pounds over the course of 2019. And I'm happy to report right here in September, almost toward the end of the year, that I only have 30 pounds to go. Come on, somebody. I, I am... This close, all right, so anyway, it's good to be here. Uh, On behalf of the entire lead team, uh, thank you for joining us, and we love you, we've been praying for you. It's like a dream come true, you know, to have the room filled with people that are hungry to build life-giving local churches, and uh, thank you, Aaron, for that great, uh, very, very kind uh, introduction. Kind of got me excited to hear myself after you said that anyway. And so I, I really appreciate it. He's a, he's a dear son in the Lord. Pastors a great church in the San Diego uh, area, and I'm just really proud of you, my man. You're doing a great job. Y'all give Aaron a hand, everybody. Do me a favor. It's awesome. So uh, just to let you know what ARC is uh, for a few moments here, you know, about 18 years ago, uh, just a couple of us got together and had a dream of starting more local churches across America at the time, and really the trend continues. There are about 3,000, at least 3,000 churches closing their doors every year. And so, for, so the need for local churches uh, is, is critical. And, uh, and not just churches, but life-giving churches, churches where people are, are excited to come from Sunday to Sunday. And at the time, 18 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, <laughs> there, wasn't, there weren't any books, there were no conferences, there were no, there certainly wasn't anybody wanting to give you some money. Can I give you, can I hear a better amen out there, right? They had back then what we call the y'all go ahead ministry, you know, just, <laughs> they'd bring you to the front and pray for you, and that was the, that was the whole arc, right? You know, so anyway... And so we decided that we would give ourselves away uh, relationally, to, like get behind church planners and get to know them, and that we'd also not just give ourselves away, but we'd give our resources and our tools away. Some of you guys are too young to even know this. 20, 30 years ago, if a church came up with a great idea that helped them grow their church, you didn't tell anybody. <laughs> they would hoard it, right? And thank God we're in, a, we're in a generation, not only us, but a lot of networks are collaborating. We want everybody grow. Let's all grow, you know? Let's all, let's all be successful. And hats off to our ministry partners out in the foyer because that's who they are. They, they, these, are these are people that we use that are, help your ministry succeed. And thank God for that. And, but we also thought, you know, they need, some, they need some good old cash too. You know, we need to help them out and and, uh, and me and Rick Bezet were the first two ARC church plants 18 years ago. And, uh, and it was only with one, one condition, that is uh, that whatever was given to us, we would give back to the next generation of church planters. We would just, we would just give it away next year to someone else, pay it forward. And, uh, and 18 years later, you know, we're at 871 churches. Come on, somebody, right? Isn't that good? Come on, give Jesus the praise for that. It's awesome. And uh, it's continuing to grow. We planted uh, almost 30 churches in just the last few weekends. And so God's moving and moving right out here on the West Coast. And we're excited to be here to share that vision with you. I do want to let you know that tonight, 
uh, we are going to all of us give an offering. The conference is paid for, thanks to all the all the vendors out there. It's completely paid for, uh, but we are going to uh, uh, give an offering tonight, all of us, uh, that we're going to give 100% of it away to church planners here on the West Coast. All right, so so just so let me tell you why I'm telling you now, and that is we really don't like high pressure offerings. We don't we don't lead that way in our churches, and so we don't do that to you. So so tonight it'll just say, okay, now it's time, and 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 we'll and we'll give right. So um, you know because the Bible says each each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I want you to decide. All right, that's all. I just just want you to decide. Right. And, um, and so just, just pray. And if the Lord says nothing, then it's nothing, right? But just decide. Spend some time. Promise me sometime today. You just ask God, God, what would you have me or our church to do? And we're going to give 100% of that offering away. I'll tell you, the reason why we can give 100% of away is not only because of our amazing vendors, really, that come here and really bless this conference and make it where we're, we're in a cash-positive situation but all the lead team pay all the underwriting expenses for it. We pay all the salaries, the office buildings, everything that it takes to run ARC, we front that. So even as your church gives uh, to ARC, should you ever uh, give out of your missions budget to ARC, 100% of what you give and your church gives goes to church planters, okay? So we got the underwriting, you plant the churches. Amen, everybody, you got that, right? Okay. So, um, so uh, Pastor Dino and the team asked me to start the conference off, and I said, well, what, what do you want me to talk about? And, 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 uh, and Pastor Dino said, talk about what you, what you think Highlands does best. And I think what Highlands actually does best is um, we, we, we move a lot of people. We, like, we have a lot of people moving. What I mean by that is that, that in this thing that I call the spiritual journey, people are moving. If you really want to know what I think we do best, I don't think we preach best. I don't think we have the best you know, children. It's great. Uh, I don't think we have the best, you know, music ministry. It's great. But I, I don't know if we're really even trying to be the best in those areas. What we think we're really good at is we, we clarify the spiritual journey. We help people go from where they are to where God wants them to be. And, um, and so, and all the stages. So they asked me to talk about that a little bit, so I will. One of my favorite verses is in Psalm 92. It says, those who, by the way, Gene, your, your screen floats out of the air, my brother. This is incredible. <laughs> See, I always go to a church and find something that I, we're not doing, that they're doing, that I, and I say, man, you're better than us at this for now, you know, and I'm stealing it. All right, so anyway, those who, those who are, everybody say the word yellow, those who are planted, we're a church planting organization, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, here's God's dream for people's lives, uh, is that they will flourish in the, in the courts of our God. We want people to flourish. They're not even close to flourishing. In fact, most people are, are coming to church just for you to help them survive. And we want a whole lot more uh, than survival. We want to flourish. We want to flourish. Right near here, there's an area of California. It looks like this. It's called Death Valley, California. Um, your state has the hottest, driest place uh, in our country. This is what it looks like. I don't think, I think they brought that cow's head in because there's not even cows out there. There's nothing. <laughs> there aren't cows there to die, right? And... Um, Hottest, driest place uh, in America. Uh, no one lives there. No one farms there. No, nothing. It doesn't, grow, it doesn't grow because it doesn't rain. That's why it doesn't grow. Um, but in the winter of 2004, by the way, team, I, I don't have, there is no clock telling me when to end, and I will go forever if there's not, all right? Put it up there, all right? Somebody help me out, okay? Um, or help them out. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, 
But in the winter of 2004, um, uh, seven inches of rain fell in a very short amount of time. Uh, They don't even know how it happened because uh, geographically it's not supposed to rain there. And by the spring, just four months later, in that same dry creek bed looked like this. Uh, they call it the super bloom. If you want to go Google it, it's called the super bloom. And, um, and, and what they realize is that Death Valley actually wasn't dead. Death Valley was dormant. If you want to call it the right name, call it Dormant Valley, right? Because all along, there were seeds of potential. Just needed the right environment for great things to happen. That's what we do. So there's already seeds for everybody in California to be saved. Can I get a better amen? I mean, how do you know that? Because God's already put his spirit on the inside of them. He's, they're made in his image. There's a homing beacon looking for God. He has set eternity inside the hearts of men. It's already there. We just, we just got to get them in environments where blooming can happen, flourishing can happen. And that's what we do. What we do really is, uh, I know some of you are called to preach. Praise God for that. Preach if you're called to preach. Some of you guys are called to sing. Sing then if you're called to sing. Some of you guys, but really what we do is, is we move people. We create environments. We don't even create environments so I can get what's off my chest inside the ears of everybody else. I'm here just to create an environment where people can bloom and they can look like this. Leaders, what they do, leaders move people from their current reality to their God, destined future. That's what we do. We move people. In fact, if you want to look at the metaphors in the Bible that describe what we do for a living, uh, it's shepherds. We're shepherds. Shepherds lead and feed, lead and feed. Hey, come take a bite of this. Come try this. Okay. Hey, let's go here now. Okay, you've been on this hillside. Let me take you to this hillside. You've experienced this. Now let me experience that. So the question of the day is, then why don't people do it? So why is is not enough movement taking place? Here's my thesis. I think I'm right, Um, but here's what my thesis is, all right? And that is is that they don't know what the pathway looks like. They just, they don't know. It's not that they don't want to look like that. They don't know the steps to get there. What I love is is the Psalmist David in Psalm 16, it says that God, he, he was worshiping God, creating a song to sing about it, that you have shown me the path of life. You've made it clear, God. You have shown me the path of life. I understand not just life. I don't just understand you. I know the pathway to you. I know the pathway to all the things that you have. I know the path. Path is the key word there. Semicolon. In other words, now that whatever is after that is the result of knowing the path. If the path is clear, in your presence is fullness. I bloom. It's fullness of joy. Oh my goodness, because I have the steps. I know the pathway. I'm, I'm, I'm blooming. I'm uh, in, at your right hand are the pleasures forevermore, eternal pleasures. Why? Because I'm growing, I'm taking steps, I'm moving, I'm seeing this thing. This is, this is probably what I'm the most passionate about in, 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 in the church world and in people's lives. It's just to get people moving. And, and I, again, if you ask me what I think we do well, I think we make the pathway really clear. And I've been on this, I've been on this journey for, for all 36 years of ministry that I've been in now, and just always wanting just to give language to it. I've tried all, all kinds of things, by the way, with, with honestly, with marginal success at times, um, because I can be a little bit of a biblical literalist, meaning I, I do think it's literal, but I try, I say, I, I want to use the exact terms as the Bible. So we want to get you guys sanctified, delivered, and redeemed. You know what I'm saying? I like, they're like, what does that mean? You know, so um, they just don't know. 
And so uh, several years ago, I went on, went on a journey of finding all the places in Bible where God was talking about the spiritual steps or the spiritual journey. By the way, found out that it's, it's, it didn't start in the New Testament. God has always had this in his heart. You can go back as far as Exodus chapter six and you'll see God saying, here's what I wanna do in your life. I have these steps I want you to take and this journey that I have for you where you can bloom and you can flourish in, 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 my, in my plan for your life and found it all throughout the Bible. And um, today I wanna just show you one of them. So a lot of times when I'm training pastors, I'll go through at least six different ones so you can see it's old in New Testament. It's everywhere. It, Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. All throughout the New Testament. It's in the book of Exodus. It's in Isaiah. It's everywhere. That God has always one of these same four things said different ways. I'm going to show you one that comes in the form of a prayer to a local church, a church that is in a city called Ephesus, where Paul had planted the church. That's what an apostle is. He's a church planner. And he raised up leadership, went on Planted another one, right? And then after he left, he had to make sure their doctrine was pure and sent them letters of encouragement that now is the Holy Scriptures. And in Ephesians chapter one, he says, hey, Ephesians, when I, when I think about you, and when I, start, when I pray for you every morning, when I get up in the morning, here's how I'm praying. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you eyes that can see this. I wish you had a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And by the way, that's the prayer I prayed before I came out here today. I don't want you to see Ark, and I certainly don't want you to see Chris Hodges, but I would love for the eyes of your heart to be enlightened at the plan because you guys are the leaders to take people on this journey. Yeah. Say, like, I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a man of God. I'm a spiritual tour guide, right? Yeah. I just take people on a journey. I've, and I'm not better. I've just been there before you. You're not going to believe what's right over here. It's, it's incredible. Come see. That's what, that's what I do, right? And that's what I want you to do, but you're going to have to see it to be able to do it. So I'm just going to try to help you see it a little bit, all right? And so, so I, want you, I hope you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then there's a comma there, and he's going to mention the four things. He says, and I, wish you, I wish you could just see how important it is for people to know him. And if you, are, if you don't know him, to know him. If you do know him, to know him better. Just like, and see, the word doesn't freak anybody out. Like, there's no gasp in the crowd right now to read that phrase. They would have. Because, because Paul used the word that you don't use there. He used the word, in the Greek, it's the word for no, is the word gnosko. And it's the word that you use when you say Adam knew his wife and they had babies. So he, he wasn't saying, oh, you need to get to know God. You need to understand God. You need to understand God. No, he says, hey. Now, it's not a sexual term at all. It's an intimate term which was foreign in their culture. God was always in heaven. They're always on earth. His laws are on stone tablets. And he's going, no, 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 you don't know. I, I wish you could understand how important it is. Like you can know him and you can be close to him and you can have relationship and have closeness with God. He would go on in, in chapter two to talk about the barrier that keeps God and us from being close and then how Jesus came to destroy the barrier so you could be close again. It's, 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 you got, you got to see that. And I, and I, and I'm convinced every single person on the planet wants that. They may not want to build our churches and fill our seats, but they want to know God. I'm telling you, they want to know God. They want to have an intimate relationship with the living God because God's already put a piece of him on the inside of them. I'm telling you, but he doesn't want to stop there. You hadn't, you hadn't quite bloomed yet. You've actually just begun the process where you can bloom because he says, and after you get in this relationship with God, now you'll have the power to do the second step in this spiritual journey. 
He says, I'm also praying that the, that, that the eyes of your heart get enlightened. To which when I first read it, I thought, well, Paul, you need to go to an anatomy class because your eyes aren't on your heart, my brother. They're on your head. Okay, my man, they're right here. They ain't here. To which Paul would come back and say, oh, no, they're not. You're not looking through these. You're looking through this. Every one of you are looking at the exact same thing right now, and every one of you are seeing it differently based on everything that's happened to you up to this point. That's a fact. So we have hard eyes, not head eyes. Well, we do. And, 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 and they need to be enlightened because they're not. <laughs> they're, in, they're in darkened, right? They, uh, <laughs> they're the other way. And it's a problem. So people are now putting through things through filters of pain, past problems, and people. They, they constantly are. And Paul said, if you could get to know God really closely, he's going to give you the power to start working on this. And one of the jobs that we have as shepherds, spiritual tour guides, is to take people on a journey where their heart eyes can get enlightened. And the next words say, so that. In other words, you can't even think about getting to this third one if you haven't dealt with this second one. So that you might know the hope to which he has called you. In other words, you can't see your calling if you're still in dealing with your yesterdays. You can't see the promise of tomorrow if you're still in the pain of yesterday. You can't do it. But if we'll take them on a journey of wiping the smudge off their glasses, they're gonna go, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I see it, that I am called, I'm called, I'm called. Every person, every person has a call of God on their life to do something with their life. And notice with me that the word hope and calling are connected. They always are, by the way. In other words, if you want to give people hope, help them find their calling and they'll have hope. Because the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and then the day you discovered why you were born. The greatest amount of hope is not when circumstances work out. Hope is found whenever you know that you're here not by accident, but on purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Are you listening to me, everybody? And that's, by the way, how you pastor people. When you're pastoring people and trying to give them some hope so they got divorced and pain and health issues and all else is going on, you can try to solve their problems. Guess what? Another one will pop up. But if they know why they're here, I am hard-pressed on every side, but I am not in despair. Why? Because I have my eyes fixed on things that are not seen. I got my eyes on eternal things. So these are light and momentary troubles that are achieving for me a glory that far outweighs them all. Paul had tons of problems, and he was all fired up. Why? Because he knew his calling. There's hope in your calling. But you can't find your calling if you're still dealing with your yesterdays. And you can't deal with your yesterdays until you get in a relationship with the only one who can change your life. I'm just trying to give you the spiritual journey so you can see it well, because you got to go do this thing, right? And then once you do give them their calling, then they can have the riches. They can have their inheritance that notice with me, this is the only time now he groups you with a bunch of people. So you can do the first three on your own, but the last one, you have to find your group. So to get an inheritance, you can't have inheritances by yourself. You have to find your family to get an inheritance. So, so what, the question is, what is the inheritance? Look no further than Psalm chapter two. Ask of me, and I will give you the people, the nations as your inheritance. Your inheritance is that once the process happens to you, you get to do it with all the other people on the planet. You get to lead people to know God and to have these heart cleaned. Are you following me, everybody? Your hey, your inheritance is people. You know why that's a great inheritance? Because it's the only thing that lasts forever. 
So don't build an inheritance and stuff that is wood, hay, and stubble and straw. And No, no, no. Invest your life in the only thing that's going to show up in heaven. That's people. Only people last forever. Are y'all following me, everybody? So you have an inheritance of people, right? You have this inheritance of people where you can go make a difference in the lives of other people. But you can't do that if you don't know your role. And you can't do that if you're still dealing with yesterday. And you can't do that if you don't have a connection with the life-giving God who can change your life. This is a spiritual journey. So years ago, I was, um, I'm always passionate about trying to create language around this. In fact, I even wrote a book um, on, on it called Four, Four Cups because I saw, I saw the process in the four cups of Passover of the Jewish Passover. The cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. And people went, wow, that's cool. It's Jewish. That's cool. What does it mean? And so, um, and it takes me at least 30 minutes to explain it to everybody. And I wrote the book, and we don't use that language anymore. Because I, don't, I, don't, I ain't got time to do it to, to spend 30 minutes on, on 8 billion people. I ain't got the time for that, right? That's just like, it's just, so I'm passionate about finding language. On a whim one day, I had my sister, who's my, my executive assistant. Her name's Carol. She, uh, as a, just a side hobby job, has a fitness class. Um, and, and I say, Carol, uh, you're around a lot of lost people. I'm honestly, it's a shame. I'm not enough, around enough lost people, far from God lost people. I said, but you are at the gym. I said, find me nine people. I'll pay them $100 personally. I'll pay them $100 for an hour of their time if they'll let be a little focus group for me. She found nine. And, uh, and I explained everything that I just explained to you. So I went through about the same amount of time. And I said, and in the balance of our time, help me come up with language to those four steps that make sense to you. Because I don't need to know it. I need the people that are far from God to understand it. By the way, our, our worship guide, we actually hand out a printed worship guide at our doors that explain what's going to happen in this service, explain a little bit of who we are as a church. And the entire thing has been written by people who, who aren't Christians. Because I don't need to understand it. I need the people who are far from God to understand it. <laughs> Selah. Anyway, so think about that for a while, all right? <laughs> so... So, long, oh, by the way, end of the story, all nine of these people gave their heart to Jesus. Let me just go ahead and tell you that right now. Okay, so every one of them, every one of them. <laughs> but I explained it and they went, oh, this is cool. And they're the ones who came up with four little phrases that we use. You don't have to use them. I'm just telling you, they asked me to tell you what we do best. And I think this is what we do best, is that we help people know God. We help people know God. We help people understand that God loves them very much and wants to be in a vibrant relationship with them and wants the relationship first and then he starts working on things not the other way around. I think Christianity has a branding problem. <laughs> I really do. I, I was on the plane with a, a girl. Uh, uh, I, I sat next to Tammy on a Southwest flight and this girl comes on and it was a Southwest flight which means you don't get to choose where people sit. I hate that airline. Anyway, and so... <laughs> Because I like to know where I'm sitting anyway, and so and control who's sitting next to me. Come on, somebody, right? You know, and but anyway, she comes around the, the door, the plane's boarding, and she's dancing. She drunk as a skunk, I think, and uh, and or very happy. I don't know. She was, but and I'm praying. Oh, Father God, if you love me, please. She just no pop pop right there next to me, and so she when she sat down. When she sat down, she goes, so what do you do for a living? And you know, when you're a pastor and you get asked that, you got to decide if you're going to lie or not. You really do, you know. <laughs> and so I said, I said, well, I'm a pastor. She goes, well, duh, we're all passengers. I said, no. <laughs> I said, like, I'm the pastor of a church. 
And her next line was, oh, well, I don't like Christians. Well, I knew the ones that she'd been raised around, so I decided to play along. And I said, yeah, me too, girl. That's why I had to start my own church. She goes, what do you mean? I said, a Christianity has a branding problem. And there's a bunch of them that'll just love to tell you everything you're doing wrong and they don't lead you to the one who can make your life right. And she, she'd already gotten a drink, right? So the cart lady had already been by and she's like, well, what does your God think about this? I think she spilled a little on me. Anyway, she, and she goes, what does your God think about this? I said, he's not, he's not thinking about that. He's thinking about you and if he ever got you, he might talk to you about that later. Well, well the plane lands... The plane lands, I, uh, I took off from New Orleans, landed in Birmingham, she's going on to Nashville. And, um, and she's, she's going on, and I'm getting off, and she goes, well, I have to have more. And I said, well, if you'll watch this Sunday, I'll look into the camera and give you a shout out. She goes, you won't. I go, oh, yes, I will. And uh, <laughs> straight up Sunday, I got up and greeted our campuses. Welcome to Church of the Highlands, all of our locations. Hey, Tanya, told you I'd do it. You know, I'd like, and I didn't know if she was watching or not. Well, she wrote me the next day, and she says, the only reason I haven't been a Christian is because of Christians. And she goes, now I realize how silly that is. And she goes, and her salutation was, I'm ready to surrender my life to God. And I called her up and led her to Jesus, right? Okay, what do we do? We just did this. We gave her the relationship before we get, we, we, you got to connect before you correct. You have to give them the relationship first, right? And we have to make sure they understand life-giving Christianity. First John says it this way. This is love for God, to obey his commands. It sounds pretty stern, doesn't it? But watch this. Watch the next line. But if you'll do it right, the commands are no longer burdensome. Like they don't have to do it. They want to do it. And that's what we create. If you don't know what kind of churches ARC is, we create, the, the term we use is, is, is life-giving churches that help people get away from burdensome experiences. So I want you to write this down in your note. Create life-giving environments. That's what we do. Life, and, and here's how you define life. They want to do it. They don't have to do it. And, and by the way, we have to create life-giving environments. That's why, praise God for technology. I know a bunch of people are watching uh, Ark West streamed. Thank God for that. Probably a good reason why you couldn't come. But there are things you cannot get unless you're in the room. Because we're not giving information. We're giving transformation. And you can, you can, you can disseminate information. And by the way, we are in an information overload. You can't go two steps on social media or any place without somebody preaching at you now, right? Thank God for it. I'm all for it. But information is not going to change anybody's life. Only transformation is going to change people's life. And so you can't just get up there and give more points. we got to give them Jesus. Experience. Cultivate. Life-giving. Experiences. I'm telling you, this, I'm going to move on, but I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm, uh, maybe this is the first place you've heard it. I'm telling you, it's going to shift. We are in an information overload. We were, we were under-preached to we, I think we're over information now, and we've got to focus on, as pastors and leaders, on the, on the experience itself being transformative, not just informational. We can't let people come to church looking for God and only find us. Just can't do it, all right? Just can't, all right. The second phrase, the second phrase that they came up with, these are lost people, right? They said, okay, yeah, we want our heart clean, and they used the term, find freedom. They said, look, well, everybody has an area. This is how they said it. It was interesting. I've even used this same language now because I thought it was brilliant. 
One, one, one lady said, everybody has an area of their life that if they knew if it wasn't in their life, their life would be better. I'm like, I was thinking, yeah, me too. Like I have an area, right? And we all do. We all have an area of our life that if it wasn't in our life, our life would be better. Now, this is, this is where a lot of the spiritual journey bogs down because people are trying the wrong thing. So if you ask them, what are you doing about that area? They'll say things like, well, me and God are working it out, but that's not how God, that's not his, that's not his pathway. Did you know that if you have an addiction, a hurt, a pain, a problem, a past, that that's not between just you and God? James says, if you'll confess that not to him, confess it to another Christian. Oh, I, didn't, I ain't been doing that. Yeah, that's why it hadn't worked yet. You go to God for forgiveness, but you got to go to God's people for healing. We have to get people relationally connected. That's why it's going to hurt some of you preachers' feelings. That's why your preaching won't finish the work. It can only start it. Preaching is catalytic. It creates a massive explosion of want to. Okay, I'm going to do it. But if they're in a step for them to take after that, they'll be right back next week repenting of the same thing. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And that's why we have to think steps, not events, people, not programs. You got, in, our, in our case, it would be groups. We, we get people in relational small groups where they can work this stuff out. And you just got to be careful of being an event-driven church or a, or a man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get everybody together downtown, bring us some great worship. Great, but you won't see much movement. It'll be a lot of fun. You'll spend a lot of money and you won't see much movement. The way to get, the way to get, if you want, if you want to really move the needle in people's lives and see your churches grow, you better get away from just catalytic events. I'm for them. Please don't mishear me because without this explosion of want to, they don't want to. So preaching has that power, but it cannot finish the work. You've got to think steps, not events. People, get them involved in relation, taking the mask off, saying, guess what? Guess what's behind here? I need to tell you what I'm really feeling. I need to tell you what I'm really going through. And it works, man. You want to you see people grow. They have to have a place where they can remove the mask and say, hey, guess what's behind here, really? And when they do, they're already more than half the way to healing. And we work so hard on this because I'm convinced this is the true backbone of a local church is when you get the church meeting together in homes, Acts chapter 2. It multiplied whenever they just didn't have temple worship, but they had house-to-house ministry. That is the New Testament model. We fight for it. And, and I'm going to tell you, we, we've got to make sure we get people in, in that kind of environment to really get their hearts clear. But once they do, now they can go to that third step. Remember where they, they find their calling? And, the, and the, the people in the focus group says, discover purpose. Everybody wants to know why they're here. Everybody has a hint of why they're here, and they think they want to know. Here's the deal. God put your purpose in you. This is why I love my job. And the only place you can find it is if you go to God. Isn't that fun? You got to love our job because go look somewhere else. <laughs> You'll be back. You know what I'm saying? Because only God knows. All the days ordained for you are written in his book before one of them came to be. We are, we are, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he had prepared in advance for us to do. <laughs> go, go look other places. You'll be back. I'm not trying to be sassy. It's just true that we have different gifts. Romans says, according to the grace, God's given a grace gift. That's the word charis in the Greek. And it means a divine enablement. A charismatic is not a wild person in church, okay? 
Thank you, Jesus. No, that's not it. All right. A charis, a charis is a spiritual gift that you're good at that makes an eternal difference. And, and, and that's why they use, the English translators use the word grace because you're great. It's, it's like easy for you. Like to be up here, it's easy for me. I, I was graced to do this. I, I, I think honestly, what I, I like to do, I like to make hard things simple. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can have one. That's, that's what I think every Sunday. Just, and I'm graced to explain. I, I, I think I like to explain things so people can under, just, just grab it so they can eat it and have it. But I have a grace for that. I always lean over to my wife and say, Tammy, you want to come up and, and just like greet everybody or pray? And then next thing I know, she's hit the door. She's gone to another church. You know, she's, lost, she's gone. She hates it. She has no grace for it. That's why Tammy never ends up. She shows up twice a year, like Haley's Comet. You got to be there to see it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? She starts our women's conference off, never speaks at it. And she prays on Mother's Day. I have convinced her to do that, but that's it. So if you want to see Tammy, that's when she arrives again. Okay, so. Um, but again, the question is this, by the way, talk about bogging down in the spiritual journey. According to Fuller Theological Seminary, 87% of the body of Christ in America does not know what their grace gift is. So if we are the body of Christ and the body doesn't know what body part they are, if 87% of your body did not know what it was, You'd probably be dead. Maybe that's why we're dead. Maybe that's why we're not functioning. Because churches haven't created a way for people to discover their gifts. So what should we do then, Pastor Chris? Is there a verse or something? One we quote all the time and hardly ever do. Ephesians chapter 4. Christ gave him the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to preach their stinking hearts out. Nope. To equip the people to be the ministers. So if you don't have a process where you get out of the way and let the, the real people minister, we're equippers. I am not the minister. I'm not a minister. I'm an equipper of ministers. I had one of our members took, took me to lunch in the first year of our church. We're, we're, we're 400 people. Just, you know, and, and I'm at lunch and he saw a friend of his across the room. His name was Buzz Borland. His real name is Billy, but they call him Buzz. I don't know why. And um, and we were sitting there, he goes, hey, Pastor Chris, I see a friend I want you to meet. And I was new to the city, so I wanted to meet him. So he waved at his friend, and his friend walked over, and I stood up and shook his hand, and Buzz said, hey, I want you to meet my new preacher. He said, That's how you say it in Alabama, preacher. And, uh, and I'd never been called somebody's preacher before. Anyway, and, uh, and so I shook his hand and said, hey, I'm, I'm his preacher. And, you know, so and we, we talked. He left, we sat down, I looked at Buzz, and I said, I ain't your preacher. And I'm not going to be your preacher. And his eyes got all big because in the church he grew up in, the preacher goes to the hospitals and then prepares a message so he can stand at the door while everybody leaves and say, good message, preacher. And I said, I'm not doing that. I said, I'm going to find the call of God on your life and you're going to lead this church. You're going to minister in this church. I'm just going to help you. And his eyes got all wide-eyed and well, now we've done it. Like that's what we've, I've worked so hard on not recruiting, show them the volunteers, but discovering people's gifts. So the option is, hey, we need some more people in the children's church. Please go sign up. Or you can discover the people that God has already put in your church who love kids. Find their gifts, find their gifts, find their gifts, find their gifts. This is what we do. We, are you following what I'm saying, everybody? Or is this helping at all? I'm just, just trying to show you the spiritual journey and what you can do to make it happen. Because we want people to flourish. But they can't flourish unless they know God have a real relationship with him that is the want to 
not the have to. They can't do Then they can move to the next step of the journey where they get themselves healed, and that can only happen not through programs and events, but through people and process. And now they can step into their purpose, their God-given purpose, that if you have something designed to help them discover it. For us, it's a four-week growth track. You don't even have to do that, but you have to do something where you can help them discover their God-given purpose so that we can do the ultimate purpose of every Christian on the planet. We rarely get here. The hope, heaven's hope is that this happens, is that everybody in our churches make a difference. The cool part about this one is, is that God has already hardwired you to want to. Now lean in for a second, because I'm going to give you a, this is non-Christian, so secular studies. Wall Street Journal just released an article that says people are hardwired for generosity. And in the article, they said, and we don't even understand how the human body that evolved has this desire to help someone else. Because evolution said, oh no, it's survival of the fittest. When all of a sudden humans have, they have measured now release of endorphins, chemicals that give pleasure whenever you help somebody that's hurting kind of sounds like there's a God who wants to try to get you here. <laughs> sounds like a God who didn't ask you to do it, but already hardwired you to want to do it. In fact, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, everybody probably remembers studying that in school at some point. Maslow came up with five needs. His thesis was that your needs determine your behavior because you have the need to live, you breathe, eat. Because you have the need for relationships, you'll find love, all that. He, he said the highest need that can be met in the human heart was what Maslow called self-actualization, meaning it's when you win. You get the job you always wanted, the house you always wanted, the wife you always wanted, and your team wins every game. And the, and the more they study it, they go, no. They've actually revised it. There are now eight needs if you want to go study it. And now they found out there's one higher than self-actualization. It's called, and this is their word, not a Christian's word, transcendence. My life has to make the difference in someone else's life. That's God did that. And so what would he do as a church? We get people here. We get people from knowing him to getting healed and free and finding their purpose so they can get on teams. Remember, you can't do this by yourself. One is too small of a number to make a true difference in somebody's life. It takes us as a group. And that's why, by the way, I want to stand here before I get off the stage and give you a formal invitation to come be on our team, that we'll have fun, eat a lot of food, be great friends, and go out there and plant as many churches as we can while we breathe air. If that sounds fun to you... Come on, I love it. John, Jesus said this in John. He said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear, go out there and make a difference, bear much fruit. This is what disciples, true disciples really do. Watch what he says next though. He says, but I've told you this so, so these starving people could have a meal. No. I've told you this so those poor people could have some money. No. I've told you this so that my joy may be in. You looking for joy? Live a transcendent life. And that's why we build teams that are able to contribute to an eternal cause, have community with the other members, and then celebrate the wins. The dream team. The dream team. So what do we do? We get people moving. So earlier this year, I was preaching this to our church. I, I say this. I, I actually preach what you just heard in every message every Sunday. 
It's in there somewhere. And I'm always trying to get them to take steps, right? And I'll close with this little fun story because um, I was talking about how when I drive a car, um, I'm barely saved. Anybody else out there know what I'm talking about? I'm just, I'm barely Christian. I really am. I'm really one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet until I'm behind the wheel of a car. And y'all, get out of the way. You're going to hell, you, you idiot. You're not supposed to turn there. You know, like, I'm just, I know, it's terrible. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm confessing my sins right now. So, um, so my wife hates it. Tammy's always in my ear. Don't, Chris. Chris, stop. Don't honk. They probably go to our church. Like, good. I, they need to learn something then. I'm their pastor, you know? <laughs> and she's ducking, and it's terrible. It's terrible. She's always in my ear telling me, don't do that. Please stop. Don't do it. Well, um, we were in the middle of our fast, and I was, you know, trying to work out some things. And, um, and I'm at a light. I'm at a left turn light. I know this is my light. I know this light. This is my light. And I know where you are in the lineup, and I know how many can make it in one cycle if everybody will go. Y'all with me? This, I know, and I'm there. I'm in the spot where if, if everybody will go, I'm gonna make it this turn. But I noticed the girl in front of me. She looked like a young girl from the hair. And this, anyway, her head was down and her thumbs were going. And Tammy's voice. And I'm already wanting to honk, and it hadn't even turned green yet. I'm, already, I'm just, I'm, mm, mm. But then Tammy's voice and fasting and all that's going on. I'm having major tensions going on, major. Sure enough, the light turns green, and everybody goes, and she don't go. Tammy's voice. So I tried to, um, so I went, I, in my heart, I was going, you're an idiot. Let's go. Come on. That's what, that was in my heart, you know. And, but I just went, beep, beep. That's all I did, just that much. And she looked up and you could see that, oh, oh yeah, and we missed the light. And, um, and really, what I told my churches, every Sunday I get up here thinking, this is what I feel. Ah, Really? You're going to pay for your own sins? He wants to get close and Yang going to get close to him? Really? You're going to have that addiction and that habit and that pain and that problem? Another, another year, really? Really? You don't want to know why you're on the planet? And really, you'd rather be a spectator than a participator? You don't want to be in the game? But I said, I'm not going to do that to you. Every Sunday, I go, beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep. Listen to me. Lead with confidence. Lead people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Why? The light is green. God bless you guys. Enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this session from the ARC Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming ARC Conference, visit artconference.com.